Welcome to the Erickson Covenant Podcast. We are so glad that you've joined us today. We confess that we don't have all the answers, but as a community, we seek to find and follow Jesus and to discover daily the life he has always wanted for us. We hope this message will be encouraging and will inspire you to take the next steps on your spiritual journey. If we can help you in any way, please connect with us. The easiest way is through our website at ericksoncovenant.ca. Let's get started. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman um, in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon. I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly. Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, But she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Well, welcome back to our master class. It's been a little while. We're back into the gospel of Luke, and we've been working our way through Luke now for over a year. Yes, yeah, I know. With many years yet to come, apparently, (laughs) as we're still in Luke chapter 7. We've called it our master class. That's what the big M is back there behind. Uh, We've been taking a few breaks along the way for special seasons, special series, of course. Luke's gospel, you might might remember, is the third of four gospel accounts about the life of Jesus. And Luke's gospel um, is, is specifically is a thoroughly researched, based on eyewitness report, that's written by a non-Jewish doctor who became a follower of Jesus, the Messiah, and then a traveling companion of the great Apostle Paul. 
And he wrote both the Gospel of Luke as well as the book of Acts, which features a lot of the early stories of followers of Jesus after Jesus' resurrection. Well, Dr. Luke wrote his gospel specifically to help people find and follow Jesus with real confidence as his disciples, or using the metaphor we've been playing with to describe discipleship, as his apprentices, who learn the way of the master and then become a people who live and love the way that their master Jesus did. And that's how we've been approaching this master class as eager apprentices, ready for action, learning the kingdom trade of Jesus, our master, so that we can become more like him. Well, in these weeks leading up to Lent, leading through Lent up to Easter, I should say, we're back into Luke and we want to actually have an eye to how these stories here still early in Luke's story. We're not yet to the, you know, to the crucifixion story, which comes, of course, toward the end of Luke. But we're going to still take these stories as a way of and asking how did they prepare us here in the season of Lent for the passion of Christ, for us as, as we watch Jesus now in this season head toward the crucifixion. And that's why we hung a little crown of thorns on the M just to indicate that here we are in the master class during this season of Lent. And on this first Sunday of Lent, we're jumping into this story that was just read by Peter with Jesus being kind to sinners with a kindness that is actually quite uncomfortable. Uncomfortable for for Jesus, uncomfortable for others, but watching Jesus be willing to be uncomfortable for our sakes and for our salvation. And through this encounter, I hope, I know this is my experience again this week, I hope this will deepen our love for Jesus, increase our confidence in him, and maybe ready us in this season of Lent to more openly confess our sin and receive his forgiveness, even if it makes us squirm a little bit in the process. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we come to this story today, wonderful story, displaying your love and your grace. And may each one of us see today you in a new way. For those of us who've been following you for a long time, may this deepen our confidence and our trust in you. For those of us exploring discovering, and trying to figure out even who you are. May this story be a revelation for us. May all of us today be drawn closer to a deeper understanding of who you are. Amen. Well, you heard the story read already, of course, and you may have already began to feel a little bit of discomfort with it. Just a little bit. I can almost guess where it happened. It was, should I try to guess? It was right at that moment in the story where Jesus said, She'd been kissing his feet the entire time. That was where you all started. There was something. Something happened in here, didn't it? Yeah. Well, when we sketch out this scene with a little more cultural detail, I think we'll all be squirming somewhere in this story. So here it is. And this is based on the best cultural research that's out there that I'm bringing you today. But I'm going to weave the story together using that scholarship. After teaching about the kingdom of God and healing people from sickness, Jesus was doing this everywhere. Jesus got invited to a banquet, supposedly as the guest of honor by a man named Simon, who was the member of a small but influential sect within Judaism called the Pharisees. They were extremely keen about staying pure under God's law. When Jesus arrived at Simon's house, a woman was waiting for him, probably over at the side of the courtyard. 
Now, in the houses of that time, it's important for us to know, people ate together in what we would call a semi-public location. Household servants are coming and going. Nosy neighbors are loitering around the edge. And in fact, word had got out that Jesus was coming to Simon's house, and so more interested people had followed him or come over because they wanted to get close enough to listen in. Probably would help us if you think of a neighbor who's decided to host a front yard barbecue because he's, been ma- he's managed to wrangle a celebrity who's traveling through town to come over for a barbecue. Just think about that for a moment. Taylor Swift? <laughs> and who's that guy that plays football? Who's it? Uh, so imagine one of your neighbors has them over in their front yard for a barbecue. Do you think maybe some other neighbors, some other people, you think there might be cars down the side of the road? Yes. So that's what's going on here. Get that picture in your mind. This meal's not happening behind a, a door in a private residence. That's not how it was back then. So Jesus arrives at Simon's place and a woman is waiting for him among these extras. A woman that's brought a gift for Jesus an expensive alabaster jar of perfume. She's planning to share it with Jesus as an expression of her gratitude for how he has already loved her, already forgiven her, already transformed her life through his teaching, perhaps even through his healing ministry. And it tells us something important. This woman is no stranger to Jesus. But as it turns out, this woman is also no stranger to the locals. She's got a reputation And it's not good. From the clues that were given in the larger story, she's known for either sex work or for some kind of sexual impropriety. The perfume she's carrying might well have been a tool of her profession, which she's now going to give to Jesus, not only as a valuable gift, but also as a sign of her newfound life change. She knows she's loved. She knows she's valued. She knows that she's forgiven. And she's so overwhelmed by her newfound freedom and forgiveness that she comes to express that gratitude to Jesus through this valuable gift. And frankly, it might just be because she doesn't need it anymore. But then this grateful woman witnesses something devastating. Something appalling. Something that shatters her. That breaks her heart. Jesus, wonderful, loving, grace-filled, gentle Jesus, the man who saw her for who she truly was and not some sexual toy or trollop who has told her that she was known and loved from the beginning, offering her full forgiveness and restoring her to the Father as a true daughter of Abraham. This Jesus, who's so magnificent and kind and pure and true, comes into Simon the Pharisee's house supposedly as the honored guest, and he was shockingly insulted, treated with contempt, shamed publicly before everyone standing there in ways that were clearly calculated in advance. Jesus, so worthy of honor, was being dishonored and despised. She saw it all. Everyone there saw it all. You could have cut the tension with a knife. Mouths would have been hanging over in horrified shock. No one, and I mean no one, treated a guest the way Simon just treated Jesus. Did you see it? 
in the story? Simon refused to greet Jesus with the customary welcome kiss. Something every host in that time, everywhere, would have been quick to do. To anyone who was visiting, but especially an honored rabbi, a person people have been talking about as a prophet, a man who's been healing and gathering these crowds, by ancient hospitality standards, what Simon does here is absolutely bonkers. It's hard actually to find a cultural comparison for the day. I was trying to think of what it might be. I was thinking, you might try spitting on your guests next time they show up at your door. course don't but it's 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 i don't even know that it's getting that close to the level of insult that this is maybe snub them by just refusing to open the door i don't know we don't have an equivalent really but the uh, the rules of hospitality in that day and culture were very very strong and simon intentionally treats jesus with contempt from the moment he enters his house why he's going what what is going on here But then, to add insult to injury, Simon doesn't even offer Jesus water to wash his feet. Again, that's what you do when a guest arrives. Dusty, dirty roads mean dusty, dirty feet, and guests were always offered water to wash. And usually their feet were washed by one of the servants. To not offer water would be to treat this guest as someone so inferior that they were kind of lumped in with maybe the servants. And that is really hard to find an equivalent in our culture today. I was, I I, I couldn't actually think of one. Uh, You know, not hanging someone's coat up doesn't quite cut it, if you know what I'm saying. Um, This invitation really had turned sour within moments of Jesus arriving. He is not being honored at this banquet. It reminds me of the common movie trope when the new boy is, 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 is uh, suddenly surrounded by the popular kids who are, you know, kind of buddying up to him and invite him out to a party and he heads out to the party thinking he's made some really new friends in, but only to find out, in fact, that he's going to be the butt of a mean prank. You know, that kind of thing. But here, Jesus isn't just being pranked. He's being openly shunned. He's being cruelly mocked by men who see themselves as superior by a particularly religious sect of men who believe that they really are more righteous than everyone else, including that guy. But Jesus, and I think this would have also been shocking to those who are watching, he doesn't shrink back. He just comes in, looks around, Heads on over the table, reclines, stretches out his dirty feet behind him, and proceeds to make conversation. And, and you're kind of like, you know, it's like the bullies, the prank didn't work, you know? Uh, doesn't he even realize how, how, how offensive they're being to him? Doesn't he realize how he's being mistreated? Is he clueless? Jesus seems unfazed, calm, completely at peace, totally in control. But this woman who's watching, she is floored by what she sees. And in a moment, she acts. Out of love for Jesus, out of gratitude for his forgiveness, but also out of anger for the way Jesus is being shamed. This, Jesus begin, this woman begins to weep tears as she kneels over the feet of Jesus that are stretched out behind him. 
And as she cries, her tears start to streak the dirty feet of Jesus. And she sees this perhaps, and she's maybe horrified. And so she begins to wipe them off, and that makes him even worse. She can't control her weeping, and more tears fall. And unsure of what to do, she shocks everyone by loosening her own hair and using her hair to gently wipe Jesus' feet. And as she does this, she scandalized everyone. Scandalized ripples would have murmured through the guests. We don't see it this way. But she could not have been more shocking had she suddenly stripped down to the waist. Because in that culture, loosened hair and exposed breasts were equally risque. She doesn't care. Whatever these men may imagine she's doing, and they are definitely seeing this as scandalously sexual, that is not what's happening here. She knows that, and more importantly, Jesus knows that. This woman is pouring out her love for Jesus as well as trying to make up for the horrible way that Jesus is being treated. She can't kiss his hands as his equal, but she begins to kiss his feet over and over and over again as she's wiping them with her hair. And then breaking out her perfume, she pours this fragrance on his feet and begins to rub them into this now smudged, kissed, and I'm pretty sure still dirty feet. It's a radical outpouring of love for Jesus. A scandalous display of affection for the man who has shown her true love. God's love. And through whom she has finally found full forgiveness. This woman knows more than anyone. She knows how much she's been forgiven. And her love and her gratitude is just overflowing onto Jesus' dirty feet. As Jesus says, she loves much because she's been forgiven much. And then so beautifully and kindly to her, your sins have been forgiven. Past tense, he's, he's not forgiving her now because of the love she's showing. The love is a sign of forgiveness. You, your sins have been forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. But Simon, thinking he's righteous, she's not. Thinking he's right and Jesus is not thinking he has so very little from which he must be forgiven. He's been a pretty upright dude, especially compared to her. He refuses not only to, not only to acknowledge his great sin and his need for forgiveness, but that he then compounds his sin through his wretched mistreatment of Jesus. His little love proves his little forgiveness. And he remains stuck in his great sin. It's an incredible story. But how is this connected to uncomfortable kindness? Well, first, notice how Jesus shows uncomfortable kindness to this grateful woman, accepting her love, affirming her forgiveness. Now, in the case of this forgiven woman, it's Jesus himself that endures the extreme social discomfort that is going on in this dinner setting, enduring it for her sake and perhaps even for the sake of her loving gift. You see, Jesus was already in an appalling social situation, really from the moment he stepped into Simon's house. He's deliberately insulted instead of welcomed. But it's as though almost Jesus has obviously decided, I'm just going to let this go. I'm going to ignore it. I'm going to brush past it. I'm not going to be offended by Simon's intentional disdain. But then this woman's passionate response makes an already tense situation tremendously more uncomfortable. 
It's already fraught. It just went deeper. I think you're already starting to, but I want you to imagine. I want you to imagine maybe how Jesus felt, but certainly how everyone else felt. As he received this extravagant, intimate display of passionate devotion, all the while maintaining dinner conversation with some pretty uptight dudes. She is kissing his feet. And in the original, and how Jesus, Jesus talks about it, uh, he explains it, it's, it's not just like, uh, kiss done. It's like continual kissing of his feet. Jesus obviously wasn't ticklish. Or this wouldn't have gone on. Then she lets down her hair, people. Like, I know you're not horrified by this at all. Most of you came to church today with your let down hair. But uh, she's weeping and she's wiping his feet with her hair. And then it's like, what's that smell? Because all of a sudden she would have cracked that bottle and the smell of the perfume would have filled. So if, even if you've been trying to avoid the spectacle going on behind Jesus, now you got to smell it too. And everyone knows what that perfume was used for. People were scandalized by what was happening. This is a meal cringeworthy to the extreme. If it actually had tables that they sat at, which they didn't, you would have crawled under it. As it were, I don't know what you would have done, rolled around the floor or something, but this was cringeworthy. And yet Jesus shows her incredible kindness. Jesus is willing to endure the discomfort of his miserable host, the stares of this misunderstanding crowd, all because he can see what no one else can see. This passionate act of love is coming from a woman who is finally free, who is fully forgiven, a woman who has been finally made whole through the love of the Father, and she has a new life that she's living, and this is her gift of love to Jesus for this new life that she's received. And so Jesus not only allows it or accepts it, but he holds her up in honor. She is the righteous one among a crowd of unforgiven wretches. Jesus really is so wonderful here, isn't he? Lifting up the broken, loving the lost, those who have felt so much shame, welcoming anyone who comes to him. In whatever state of passion or duress, of repentance and gratitude, he never turns them away. Jesus is more than willing to endure discomfort for the sake of repentant sinners, knowing that he has yet to endure a lot more discomfort as he heads to the cross. The season of Lent, of course, is preparing us for Good Friday. And on the cross of Good Friday, Jesus endured unspeakable shame and horror, beaten, stripped naked, ridiculed, and rejected, all for the sake of sinners. For Simon... And this woman, for you and for me. And that's the uncomfortable kindness of Jesus writ large, isn't it? And here at this dinner, with Jesus as the mocked and shamed guest, he's experiencing a kind of mini, mini crucifixion in advance, as he's being scorned and rejected by righteous men, while at the same time being honored, worshiped, and adored by a forgiven sinner a woman who knows the reality of true forgiveness and has come to offer her gratitude. So look at Jesus as we look at this story. Look at Jesus. Whether you're new to following him or you followed him for a long time, look at him in this story and see how he is the one who is for the broken, 
who sees the despised, who, who welcomes anyone who comes and offers full forgiveness, who sees these offerings of gratitude for what they are with love, who is willing to accept whatever is given, whatever is poured out with such incredible kindness. It, it moves me to love Jesus even more. But there's a second way that Jesus shows uncomfortable kindness in this story. He shows uncomfortable kindness also to Simon, this very judgmental man, by calling out his inhospitality and challenging his sinful pride. There are multiple layers of social shock in this story, which tried to bring some of that out today. We don't quite get it when we first read it because it's so culturally removed from us. There's, of course, the shameful way that Simon mistreats his guests, which most of us would have missed, except Jesus points some of it out toward the end. There's the scandalous way this woman displays her love and affection for Jesus. There's even just the simple way that Jesus accepts this display of love and affirms her actions. There's discomfort or an uncomfortability to all that. But believe it or not, there is one more shock in this story that's easy for us to miss. And that's actually the surprising way that Jesus then points out to Simon his lack of hospitality. And I know this is kind of hard for us to imagine because we think there's other things in the story that are just, that's the height of craziness that's going on, considering everything that's happened. But even Simon's shameful mistreatment of Jesus pales in comparison, socially at the time, to Jesus' willingness to then bring it up and point it out. And Jesus does that. (laughs) Outlining the ways that Simon not only was a terrible host, but how this woman who Simon condemned and judged as a sinner, was actually more righteous than him and was now making up for his shameful lack through her loving action. She was hospitable while he was hostile. But get this. I want to underscore it. Jesus bringing it up, like naming it in front of everyone, pointing all of it out, no kiss, no water, no oil. According to the cultural scholars, that was actually probably the most uncomfortable thing that happened socially at that crazy banquet. What Jesus did here boggled the first century mind. It just was not done. Even if you had been shamed, even if that had occurred, you would not have brought it up. It's beyond belief. And we're actually not sure Jesus would have. Except it seems like Simon's ugly judgment of this loving woman sparks a response, a protective response, a defensive response, some kind of response in Jesus so that he shares the parable about the two debtors, which backs Simon into a corner and then proceeds to hammer away at Simon point by point on how he failed as a good proper host, but how this grateful woman point by point made up for his lack of love. And how is this a kindness, you ask? I mean, we can see how Jesus is kind to the woman. We can see how uncomfortable that was for Jesus, for others. Uh, We can also see how uncomfortable it would have been this pushback against Simon. How is it kind? I think it's so important to see what's happening here as an act of kindness for Simon. Uncomfortable kindness, but kindness. By calling attention to the woman's love, by pointing out Simon's hostile inhospitality, by letting him know just how unrighteous and unforgiven he really is, evidenced by his complete lack of love for Jesus. Jesus provides Simon 
with the only possibility that he will ever find forgiveness and be saved himself. The only way that's possible is a hard smack in the middle of his self-righteous forehead. And that's what Jesus offers him, kindly. It reminds me of the famous final scene in Harry Potter and the Deathly Hollows when the hero Harry tries to get the evil Voldemort to, quote, try for a little remorse for all of his sin. To try to find within himself some kind of repentance that would be his only salvation, even in the last moments, knowing that if he could find repentance, if he could find remorse, if he could turn from his evil, there might be salvation even for him. And Jesus knows in Simon's case the depth of this man's pride and self righteousness, and he knows that unless he turns the social discomfort up to level 11, there might not be any hope for Simon. And he loves Simon. And so he turns the tables on Simon in an attempt to save him too. Everyone thought by now, and you would think by now, that Jesus would be the one squirming with discomfort. He's the one that's been offended. He's the one that's been shunned. He's the one that's had to endure this incredible display of affection. He's the one who's been in the spotlight, and everyone has targeted him. But now it turns out Jesus wasn't phased at all. In fact, everyone else is squirming instead as Jesus calls up point by point where Simon has failed. And Simon, does he repent? Does he fall to his knees and confess his self-righteousness and ask for forgiveness? Does he try for a little remorse? Well, Luke, in the masterful way that he does, often through his gospel, he leaves the end open. We don't know. He does this all over the place because he intends to invite us further into the story to consider ourselves as characters within the story to wonder how would we have responded? What would we have done? How are we like him? I mean, did Simon feel a flush of shame at his foul mistreatment of Jesus? Or did he kind of shrug it off and laugh among his cronies uncomfortably as Jesus left? Did he finally realize how he'd misjudged the woman or misjudged Jesus? Or perhaps most importantly, misjudged himself. That he was the one in need of great forgiveness. That he was the one with such little love. We don't know. But we do know Jesus loved Simon, in this case with a tremendously uncomfortable kindness. And that might have been Simon's only chance, maybe his last one, to repent of his spiritual pride and receive the forgiveness that he needed. Well, how does this story help you see Jesus more clearly? I want you just to consider that for a moment in your own minds. How does this story help you where you are at, your space in life, with what you're grappling with, be that shame or pride? How does this story help you see Jesus more clearly? Jesus is wonderfully kind, but he's also willing to be really uncomfortable about it. He's willing to endure discomfort, He's willing to be exposed to shame to show the radical love and grace of God. And from a place of complete calm, Jesus is able to honor the gifts of repentant sinners as well as horrify unrepentant ones. I wonder when you hear this story if you can ask yourself, how has Jesus been kind to you? 
How has he been welcoming you back? How has he been smiling as you've turned toward him? Or perhaps, how has he been pushing you to see your spiritual pride? Your self-righteous judgment? The way you've seen others instead of yourself? And judge wrongly? We often think kindness must always be comfortable. But as we move into Lent, we see that the kindness of Jesus often is an uncomfortable kindness. Something that he experiences, something that we experience, something that perhaps we experience on behalf of others. I know in my own life, I've shared this with you before, it was the uncomfortable kindness of a friend who smacked down my own self-righteous pride. If he hadn't shouted and screamed at me that one day, I don't know where I'd be. I was eager to follow Jesus, but I was also pretty keen on judging the rest of you for how you didn't. And I will forever be thankful for the day he shouted in my face and told me I was a self-righteous. Because it shocked me. It set me back on my heels. It set me on a, on a, on a direction of of actual reflection in what became repentance and then a new formed prayer that I would be a person of grace, a person of kindness, a person that didn't look at other people and look down on them, but rather look to Jesus and let him reflect into me where I need to change. And I will forever be thankful for the kindness of a friend who was willing to go to an uncomfortable place for me. Wonderfully, though, as we continue through Lent, we can do so with this beautiful assurance. However broken you may feel, whatever shame you may carry, whoever has judged you in the past or told you that you're not worthy or, or no good or unfit to follow Jesus, none of that can stand before the uncomfortable kindness of Jesus Christ. He simply says, come to me. As Peter read at the beginning of our service, are you thirsty? Are you hungry? Come to me. As we read at the funeral on, on Friday, Jesus said, are you weary? Are you burdened? Come to me. In the case of this woman, so caught up, knowing the forgiveness and the power of God to restore her to life, come to him. Come to him and pour out your heart and know that he will welcome you. Know that you have been forgiven through him and offer to him whatever it is that you have and know that he will not despise it. Jesus loves sinners. And as you come to him having experienced the full forgiveness of God, you will know that love as it washes over you again and again and again. Let's spend a moment in prayer and quiet reflection as the team comes to lead us in a final song. I just invite you just for a moment just to sit with this story, sit with this prayer, and then I'll close our, our uh, message with prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you for being so incredibly kind to us. Thank you for being willing to enter into difficulty and discomfort for our sakes. We confess that we often want 
only to be made more comfortable. And there are times, Lord Jesus, when we need to be discomforted. We need to be shaken, challenged. And may we, during this season of Lent, be willing to let you do some of that in our own lives, kindly, but honestly, so that we could confess ways in which we've misjudged you and misjudged others and misjudged ourselves, confessing our sin and receiving the full forgiveness that you offer. Jesus, we also are so grateful for how kind you are to us. So many of us feel so broken. And actually, we do need some comforting. (laughs) And to know that you're willing to endure discomfort for our sakes, willing to be uncomfortable so that we could be welcomed back. We are in awe of your grace, of your calm, of your unoffendability, of your love. Thank you for being so kind to us. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening in today. We hope you feel encouraged and challenged. If you know someone who would benefit from what you have heard today, please share this podcast. For more information, or if you have questions, you can connect with us through our website, ericksoncovenant.ca. You can also find us on Facebook by searching for Erickson Covenant Church.